0: Right, well, thanks for joining us again. I'm joined by uh, Clarence Crane. Uh, he is a recent Hall of Fame inductee into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. And first off Clarence, congratulations on that. And just uh, what what is that when you think about that honor, you know what what does that mean to you and, and how uh, what do you think of when you when you think uh, Clarence Crane, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer.
1: Well, thank you, Cal, and and I tell you, it's uh, it's pretty humbling. That's the first thought that it's, it's uh, humbling to even be thought of with some of the individuals who have gone into that the Hall of Fame, including my brother, who was in, in two thousand four. I think when I, I think about the the recognition of it, and I think it is I think of it as ver as just not justification, but verification of um the way i played the game which was all about a team concept basketball is is uh five players uh primarily playing but you have 10 or 12 on the team and and it's about the team and everybody doing something collectively so i i don't take that lightly that um uh, i didn't accomplish anything uh without the, the benefit of a team
0: well clarence you were a 1969 shortridge graduate you guys uh 1968 you made the state uh, finals the next year you were a uh, an Indian all-star but your brother uh you know I think a lot of people who were around that time uh, know your brother as a he was a great player about a decade before you uh, at Shore Ridge but you wanted to start with with uh with him a little bit and and, and your family um you know I know you came from the south originally uh, you were although you were born here in Indy uh, a lot of your family was born in Mississippi, is that is that right?
1: That that's correct. My family moved here in the, in 1948, I believe it was, and seven. On the youngest of seven children, and my sister
0: and my sister and I were the two that were born here in the city. And and your brother, uh, you know, watching him play, I'm sure was was kind of basketball in your blood. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, the the uh, always watching basketball. Uh, the the irony we had a. Little uh, gold that was put up in our backyard. Um, and so they were always playing back there, and I was always watching. Um, I mean, and that, that that went around, that happened year round, even to the point that um, I have one memory of it on my leg instance, because in the wintertime, they would build a little fire out there to help keep warm. And I was standing there the far, too close to the fire watching them play. So, and that was when I was probably like four or five years old. And then, uh, and then after that, it was just always going to watch uh, all of my brothers, not only both, Curtis and TJ, uh, play basketball um, and as much as I could. When, and then when it was got to the point that they were driving, uh, whenever a car was moving, I was in the car going to watch them, watch them play. And that's how, I saw, that's how I got to play uh, a little earlier than some of the other guys because uh,
0: occasionally if they needed another player, then they let me come on the court and play. So. How, when you remember back to watching Bo play, um, you know, what, what what are your memories? I'm sure you were at the Shore Ridge games whenever they, whenever they played, but you're watching him play. How would you describe his game?
1: Um, hard-working, competitive. Um, he was never going to be outworked, and that's been reinforced by talking to uh, people like Ray Satterfield and Jerry Williams, those guys that played with him, and that's what they talked about, hard-working the was.
0: The effort that he always put into it and then short ridge obviously mean, the, the city the the short ridge tradition at that time was was already established when your brother was playing or was starting to be uh more well established you come along in the later in the 60s by that time addicts had won a state championship all these all these schools when you look back it's like you know washington in 65 won a championship you know tech was very good obviously even going back further uh, with joe Sexton and those guys but yeah. You know the city was booming with talent. You walk into this uh, situation at Shortridge, where you know I'm sure it was hard just to make the team, let alone uh, make the starting five.
1: Yeah, very much, very much so. There were there were there were guys walking the halls of Shortridge that could play and start at other schools um, in uh, in the city, and uh, because the talent was was very high and very, very and that's why it was indicated by. And, and reinforced by the fact that almost all the players, at least during the time that I played, uh, sophomore through senior year, all of those players went on to play either in college or the military.
0: And you had, so 60 68, you were the sixth man on that. You played a little bit as a sophomore, uh, or not a little, but you started to get more playing time later in your sophomore year. Going into six, the 67-68 season as a junior, do you remember kind of your feeling on the team success and what your role might be on that team?
1: Um, it was just, it was always going to be about team. And that's, that's what it was. And and you never really worried about where you were in that because uh, and we had faith and, and trust in a, in a coach, George DeSantis. And he was going to play the best players that were going to make the, the team the best. And he was about team He play everybody as it worked out, um, because uh, he wanted people to, to uh, bring out the best in each other. And uh, it didn't necessarily mean who started. It was going to be who finished the game and who was playing well at that time. But we had some talented guys on, on, on that team uh, who we went on to do well. And their record holders at their particular schools and the colleges they went to. And, and um, even uh, one or two that, that went on to play pro.
0: Who, who were some of those? Who were your, the guys you played with that era?
1: Well, you know, the uh, Leonard Taylor, who's Ralph Taylor's brother, mm-hmm. uh, played with him. And he was uh, he was there. And then Oscar and David. Oh, that was our kind of our starting five at the um, at, at my junior year. Greg Allen, who was just one of the most outstanding players that you ever wanted to get, one of the quickest players around. He was uh, uh, he was uh, probably about five tennis or so, but he was quick, quick as, as to be. And then uh, Kenny Randall. Um, Steve Hedrick, Robert Butler uh, Robert Wilson who did not play as a junior. if he had played, we would we, we would have maybe beaten uh, Gary Roosevelt. Uh, and uh, but he was uh, he went on to play at Iowa State and had set some records there. Um, and then we had another Robert Wilson, they called him B. Wilson and he went on to, he, he went out to junior college and then played well and he I think he's uh, played in the Missouri Valley and he ended up playing um, several years with the Chicago Bulls and i think a couple of
0: years with the Boston Celtics so, so we we had talent yeah. on, in that on the team and you get to you know kind of describe you know you make that tournament run in 68 what was the what was the hardest part of getting through and, and you know even winning a sectional at that time was uh, almost like a state championship
1: right it was in uh the sectional was, legal. I think we were playing at the Coliseum at the time, at the sectional. So that was obviously the toughest part in 68. And then in 69, we got the headlines of Washington in the uh, regionals. And our, our strategy back that year, our strategy was uh, to run because we were a pressing ball club. And it was to run. And I still remember uh, Steve Downing that year was having issues that year with legs, with uh, shin splints. So he didn't he didn't like doing a whole lot of running obviously but but uh, that that was one thing that we said we're going to use to our advantage and our Theophanous's Phil philosophy I remember that year was uh keep the big men between the free throw lines. So if they can't hurt you if they're between the free throw lines and they they can't hurt you on defense and they can't hurt you on offense. So we we ran and we pressed all all day. I think uh, uh I think some somebody coined it our, our alley ball and uh, offense because
0: we just we basically ran and pressed the whole game and you were what was your role what, what how would you describe your were you similar to Bo or what was your what was your role in i team? think
1: well the junior year 68 i was a, i was a sixth man so i would i would come in generally either uh for one of the other guards or the, or the forward those were those are kind of my roles and i would still play quite a bit but my role was to basically fill in make the passes oscar was our leading scorer Oscar Evans was our leading scorer, and I think Greg Allen was actually our junior year was our second leading scorer, and then Leonard Taylor was I think our third. Those were our top three leading scores, and uh, so my role was to you know rebound and and facilitate the offense as much as I could with our with our systems that we had.
0: Was there disappointment? You guys didn't win the state championship. I mean, how was how was that uh, received after this season ended? I mean, I, like you said, you had. You had a lot of talent, but you beat a lot of good teams. I'm sure it was sort of maybe a little bittersweet. I don't yeah.
1: know. It was it was an extreme disappointment. And, uh, obviously we could rationalize it because of Gary Roosevelt being so, so big, but, but I can still remember being on the platform as we were getting our award recognition, our awards. And, uh, I will never forget Robert Butler, who was a senior at the time. And, uh. And he he came he was came down to each one of the guys, particularly all of us who were juniors or were going to come back. And he told us all to get our heads up and be get back and come back next year. And I I'll
0: always I'll never forget that from Robert and what he told us every year. And and next year uh, you come back as a senior. Did you have most of the team? I know you lost obviously some key guys from '68, but. Uh, how did you feel about that team coming into the season? We, we
1: felt very strongly about the team because Robert Wilson, who uh, was was uh, forward, and unfortunately we missed him the year before. He wasn't able to play. So he was there. We had George Tandy and myself. We were the starting front line. And then we had Greg Allen, uh, who was the starting uh, guard, what would, would now be called the point guard. And we had Kenny Randall. Uh, who was the other guard, starting guard? And then we had, you know, our backup, but we had uh, Carlisle, uh, Billy Offit, um Charles Cox, Robert Wilson, Robert B. Wilson, uh, Steve Grinnell. Um So we had some pretty good, we had a pretty good team that mm-hmm. uh, so was on, on the team. And so we were, we were feeling pretty good about it. And as a matter of fact, I think the only games we lost that year were to Washington and maybe one, I think one to
0: Addicts and one to Tech. And, again, those Washington guys, you know, they, we look back now, at, they're one of the best of all time. Yeah. But you were maybe the one team that had uh, had known, known their personnel. You'd beat them the year before. Um, you gave them a hard time, I know, in, the, in those games. And you weren't necessarily running and gunning like the year before, but how, how did those, you know, how did you feel like you could beat those guys? Well, I,
1: we, we, we always had the feeling that, that you know, there's, back then you hear teams talk about, like, no, it's
0: tough to beat a team
1: three times. Uh, Well, it's going to be even tougher to play them. I mean, let's face it; they did have a great team, and uh, they were averaging almost 100 points a game. You think about that in '68, '69. There wasn't any three pointers uh, then. They were just up and down the court, up and down the court. So we we went in, and we we had lost to them twice uh, that year, and uh, and we decided we weren't going to run with them. Uh, We were going to try to slow them down. So. Um, One thing Washington always used to do is everybody knew they had Downing and McGinnis. And so everybody would come out in the zone to play against Downing and McGinnis. We came to the conclusion that um, the other guys on the team, they had Louis Day, Wayne Pack, um, Jim Arnold. Those guys, they knew before the game that they were going to be able to come out and take the first two or three shots because everybody was going to be that back on uh, George and, and Steve. So we just we adopted, okay, if they hit the first two, they hit the first two, but we're we're going to still stay in our zone. So when that's what we did, and um, and sure enough, I mean, you know, it's it's the we were able to to strategize and use our strategy, which was not to run with them and not totally slow it down. To the point where it was a stall, but we did slow it down, and we were very selective in our shots, and and it worked. It worked uh, for three quarters. We let we let them go into the fourth quarter, and uh, but uh, you know, I think uh,
0: that's why I learned the philosophy of playing not to lose instead of playing to win, and that came out came back to bite you. And it did so as Washington made their run to the championship they barely you know they they had survived Marion in the yeah, championship yeah. but did you did you root for them were you know I know you knew those guys but I'm sure it was it was <laughs>
1: well yeah you would root for them because they were from the city mm-hmm. they're from Indianapolis and so you know and you it makes you look a little bit better if the team you lost to wins the championship but they they had to beat uh the, they had to play uh, Marion that afternoon that evening and and they beat Marion which see we had beat Marion in 68 so uh, uh Marion had a rough time for a while with uh, Marion County teams. They would come down here, but they, they lost to us. They lost to Washington. They lost to <laughs> so, Yeah, but then they won a few games too.
0: Right. They won their share eventually. Yeah. Did, did, uh, it was kind of, you know, we were talking earlier, it kind of fascinating to me. You grew up and you were mentioning all these people you grew up around, like Albert Maxey was a street over, you know, guys who weren't necessarily didn't go to Shortridge, but guys who played in the city and, and people knew. Who did you, who did you, you know, other than Maxey and how, how much did, you know, he, how much did he have an influence on you too? But, you know, what was that like growing up in that neighborhood where you had so many different? people from different schools. Well, it was
1: tough competitively cuz I I was I was fortunate enough. I lived right across from the, the school. Uh, that I went to, the elementary and um, and, eighth, and junior high. And back then in the city, we didn't really have any full courts. So we had half courts. And but the uh but we would have some pretty tough games on those half courts and uh not just Albert, Max, Albert Max's, uh he had uh, some brothers that were quite ath- quite athletes. Ken- uh, he had uh, Kenneth Maxey, who I think was probably one of the toughest at, at high school level. Was probably one of the toughest one on one players that uh, that was around. Um, but he was he was uh, there. And he came. He graduated in '66. Um, then they had another brother, uh, uh, Gary Maxey, who went on to play with at, at Attics, a you know, younger brother. And then they had a couple of brothers that played football and wrestled. Uh, so the, and they, they they were an athletic family and um and that, that, that the, the neighborhood we had some folks uh the McKenzie's they ran track uh, and then the Kittrells they also Jim Kitchell played for Sharridge and uh, and Ralph Kitchell played for Sharridge they were on the same street with the Maxis so it was just a, a tough uh, tough playground to get on
0: the court to play on <laughs> yeah and you you went to school 31 you said 36 36 okay yeah and that was where you went through uh, uh, elementary and elementary through yeah. uh, through junior high, I was I was I was uh, fortunate. That was the only
1: school that I, that I had to go to. I went there as kindergarten. Uh, we just we had just moved uh, from where we were, and uh, we moved up there, and it's right across the street from the school. And I went there kindergarten through uh, eighth grade uh, with some great outstanding teachers. Uh, was coached in basketball by uh, Bill Scott. Who had played for Attics mm-hmm. in '55, and then went on to play at uh, Butler University, and then uh, after he left, he coached. I played for him my seventh grade, and in eighth grade, I played for Gordon Mickey, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. And he was the backup to Walt Bellamy at IU, mm. and he was my second my eighth grade uh, coach. So um, it was uh, it was competitive at the grade school level too. Yeah. Yeah, and you grew up in
0: that Dust Bowl era, or maybe a little bit before you too. And I know you, you talked about your brother when we were talking about him watching his games mm-hmm. at, at Lockfield at the Dust Bowl, and and what that was like. What was your experience with with the Dust Bowl? How would you describe uh, those games and in, in that era of basketball? It was uh,
1: it was pretty awesome, really, to watch watch him play because uh, in the earlier years, before I was old enough to even play in there, and uh, the guys would come back and play from all, they would play from all over the country. Uh, there would be teams here from Michigan and teams from Illinois that would come over here to play in this, in the Dust Bowl. And, uh, and uh, Bruiser Gaines was the guy who started uh, the Dust Bowls over there. And uh, that's what we called him, Bruiser Gaines. He was a IP, I think he was IPD policeman. And he started the pow clubs and everything. And, and by the time I got up into the high school area, he was actually he ran the Watkins Community Center over on the Martin Luther King. And uh, but uh, the players that came down and played in that were just awesome. And uh, and as it got um further along in the years, when when we played as much, it wasn't as much of the outside Indiana teams coming when we when it got up to my level, but but before it was the guys were coming in from everywhere. Herschel Turner, who played at Shortridge in the fifties, would bring a team down here from Michigan every year. Uh, so it was just uh, it
0: was just competition
1: that you wouldn't believe.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so so uh, sixty sixty nine, you go through that season, you, you finish up. Did you plan on you ended up going to Butler, but was that the was that the idea uh, going into your senior year, or when did that become a
1: no, going in, I knew Butler, uh, was there was interest there, and um, and uh, yeah. Tony Eagle was talking to George Stefanis about me going there. Uh, we had made sure all the grades and everything there, but I was really interested in going to Miami of Ohio, um, primarily because, again, one of those neighborhood guys, uh, Gerald Sears, who played for Tech, um, and he was one that I kind of looked up to in the neighborhood. And, uh, and that's where he had gone so I I just always had that in my mind to go there and uh and then uh, and at the same time you know there was there was limited options I mean again thinking about the, the time 60 68 69 stuff there were still limited limited options on where black student, uh, kids could go play ball and um uh, but uh I was looking leaning toward uh, there but then uh, my, I didn't hear from Miami Ohio until too late and then i went ahead and i went, went ahead and committed to uh, butler and part of that was because i had hoped that the the would get the coaching job at butler because hinkle was reaching mandatory retirement age so my scholarship came from hinkle uh in hopes that the offense would get
0: the job and then subsequently he did get the job and you brought up something there i you know i should have probably i, I mean coming up in the 60s you know, obviously there's there's racial uh, things going on throughout the country, you know, the, the in L.A. and Detroit. You know, there's all kinds of sure here in Indianapolis. But what was your experience like with that, uh, you know, growing up here in the 60s in the city?
1: Well, I mean, we, we experienced uh, issues like, uh, you know, the theaters downtown where we had to go in the balcony and go there. We had an amusement park that was right in our neighborhood, practically, Riverside Amusement Park. And um uh, we couldn't go to Riverside amusement Park and uh, the only time that we go, I go once a year because my father's company would always sponsor a day at the at the um at the park. So that's when one of the times we go and that's when times any of us uh the black students could or black uh, students could go uh was if someone sponsored a particular day and it was just right down the street. So that that situation was there and even the schools, um, beyond, the, you know, you had HBCU schools that, that were there, but I can remember in terms of letters that I got from schools and I can, the majority of them did not have any black players on them. Or if they did, it was no more than one. And uh, in the, uh, so it was a, a different climate, particularly coming from uh, grade school and elementary school that was essentially all black. And then going to Shore Ridge, which at that time we were about 50, 50 percent. It was about half and half. But at the same time, um, a lot of people, we got along pretty good. I mean, only time there was any issues that I think was around the 68 time frame when Martin Luther King was killed.
0: Yeah. And that was a uh, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Um, that night he was killed was a, you know, kind of a, a big night for you guys. Uh, kind of describe what how you guys found out that night. Yeah, we were we were actually
1: having our celebration for going to the state final going to the state championship game. Um, the celebration was at the Murat Hotel, which is now apartments and um, and it was the same night that Robert Kennedy was here speaking over on the east side of town. Um, Luber was the mayor. And uh, so we were having our celebration, and of course, Luger got word of what had happened and what was going on, but he did not to inform the celebration. He did not do that. We found that out as we were leaving and going into the hallway that uh, what had happened, and then uh, and then actually Bobby Kennedy was coming in shortly after because he was staying at that hotel mm. uh, that night. So that was uh, so it was obviously bittersweet. We were celebrating. Actually losing, but then and then to come out and hear that that Martin Luther King had been killed—it was a rough time.
0: Right. Yeah. The the Butler experience uh, for you, you you so you you go there as a freshman. You know at that time you said freshman unable to play, but um, you know that was just the way it was everywhere at that time. But right. then, you know, how do you how do you kind of look back at your experience at Butler and and uh, it, at least from a playing uh, basketball standpoint?
1: Uh, from from that, pr- that perspective, uh, all, generally all positive. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we had we had some rough times uh, that sophomore junior year time frame when we were having the transition from some of the guys that, uh, with the exception, well, uh, almost all the guys that were playing at that time had all come in under Hinkle. Uh, freshmen didn't become eligible until my senior year, um, and so everybody that had come in there. Uh, with with Theo and were uh uh, or before Theo were were Hinkle's uh recruits and then Oscar came up Oscar and Hote came up um the next year and then I think Daryl Mason uh came from Brabable and so and so there was a beginning of a change at Butler so it was there were some trying times and some getting people everybody getting used to playing with each other in a different different situation in different light and unfortunately it took us a couple of years to to get to that point where we were playing more collectively and together
0: and your senior year um you said was was probably a better year uh it ended on a good note yeah. as far as that goes for for did you feel that personally individually too that, yes yeah
1: yes because we had we had a we just we just played together uh, more co- cohesively as a team that year we had uh, uh Marty Montserrat uh was there Daryl Mason was there the two of them between the two of them, I think they were averaging like twenty-something rebounds a game between the two of them. Daryl set a record. Daryl Mason set a record for the rebounds that still uh, stands. And I've told him he doesn't have to worry about it uh, because <laughs> these players these days don't rebound. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so so it, it'll always be there. I think Weidman uh, a few years ago came close to beating, him, but uh, other than that, I don't think he will it'll ever be he challenged, particularly with. Um, you won't have people that are uh, been at the same school for three years and stuff. So Good with with the, with the portal <laughs> that's going on now, nobody's going to be there. Um, but um, but uh, we had uh, John Randall, Jeff Williams, um, Steve Carmichael, um, Ken Runyon was there. Kent uh, Kent Eric was our leading scorer. I think that year. Um, so we, we had uh, that last year, we, we had some pretty
0: good guys play together real well. You get out of, uh, Butler then what, what was next for you post, uh, you know, post Butler and post basketball?
1: Well, I went to, I uh, went to work with, uh, at General Motors. Um, uh, I had interned at General Motors, uh, at the Chevy, what used to be called the Chevy plant over in White River Parkway on the Southwest side. And I interned there between my junior and senior year. And then, uh, after my senior year, they made me a pretty good offer. And so I went to work with General Motors and I ended up with a 30-year career with General Motors, uh, covering everything from HR Did probably 10 to 12 years in HR. And then my last uh, 10 or 12 years was uh, in the manufacturing. And I ended up, uh, I finished, I was on the executive staff of the, of the uh, operations and uh, did the 30 years and uh, very beneficial for that. And after that, then I, decided I wanted to re- I was in Marion. I had gotten transferred to the Marion plant and I decided I really wanted to, to come back and be able to want to do something in the community. So I came back and took about three years. I was on the board at Butler. I went on the board at Butler in 2000, uh, board of trustees. And, and I'd been active even before then. I, I started being active at Butler in about 85 ish or so. Um, when the president came to us and asked a few of us, um, to, um, to work on establishing a Minority Alumni Association. And that's what we did. So uh, we started the Minority Alumni Association and I worked on the alumni, I was on the alumni board. I was on the committee when uh, the big topic at the day back then was the uh, South Africa and, and worked on the committee about the rest of uh, investments in South Africa. And uh, then it was on the alumni board, uh, it was on the board of visitors, uh, the first board of visitors that they, that they established. Now every college has one, but the, every universe, college within the university has one. But the business school had started the first one. So I was just very active at the, with the university uh, for doing that, Doing that, and then retirement, continued to be active for a few years, and then became active with my church, even more active with my church. For a few years until 2006 and i had an opportunity to go to lily endowment as a program director there so ended up going there and uh was there for 14 years and retired from there in uh, 2000 and um, a year and a half later it asked me to come back and be on their board so that's what i do now and you've, you've stayed active that's for sure yeah yeah <laughs> stayed active between church and and, um, and in the uh, 100 Black Men, I can't leave them out because I've, I've been a member of the 100 Black Men for over 30 years. And and it's uh, basically a mentoring organization um, that mentors young men in several areas. We have about eight programs. And um, you, you remember a name, I remember Jerry Harkness. Uh, Jerry Harkness was the one who actually recruited me for 100 Black Men. And so uh, he and Moses Gray and some of those guys that or uh, have now gone on, but they were the founders in our
0: chapter. Uh, next year, we'll celebrate our 40th year as a chapter uh, here in the city. That's fantastic. And when you think back, I always think of that that era of, of basketball in the city as such a special time. I know you guys have been able to get together uh, here and there, and, and as time goes on, you lose some of those guys, even your brother uh, a few years ago. Yeah. But, but you know, how how important is that to – you know, kind of keep that tradition going, and and uh, for you guys to connect on a personal level.
1: Yeah, it, it's imp- it's very important to me, and I think and uh, we were beginning to uh, you you referenced the when we did a uh, program with uh, Ralph Taylor and a few other guys at uh, where we did a '50s '60s era uh, program back here four years ago, four or five years ago, and the intent of that was just to. Uh, to get the guys together that hadn't seen each other for a while and get them together, and it wasn't a funeral, and just have some fellowship. And uh, it was a great time. We had over 200 people that showed up, and uh, we charged, I think, five bucks a head and uh, cover expenses, and and we we just had a great time headed out at uh, Butler at uh, in the uh, in the West Gym, what we used to call the West Gym. And so people felt that was, in, that was an important link because all of our city tournaments and everything used to be at Hinkle. Um, back in those days, so in sectionals used to be at Hinkle. Uh, Fourteen team sectionals at Hinkle out there, and uh, <laughs> I remember cutting school uh, in seventh grade to go out to the sectionals.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: in there, but but I think it's important, and we we've tried and we we've been trying to, to get together there. Of course, COVID um, has uh, has played a part in that, but we were able to start getting back together again this year. We uh, the shortage we have a shortage group that uh, we got together back here in uh, in August and we were able to get Charlie Jordan out. Uh, his sister brought him in you know, in a wheelchair and we were, and we had just a great fellowship with him and, and now there's some guys that uh, have just uh, started over the last two months. Uh, they're just guys just calling each other and they're going to get together once a month just the fellowship and see each other. And it's not a funeral.
0: <laughs> and I should say that's very important in this day and age, especially where, you know, you can be connected online, but you're not, you know, it's important to stay face-to-face with people and, and, and communicate. Yeah. I think that keeps everybody, everybody's minds fresh yeah. and, and helpful. So yeah. uh, what, What? Uh, I got a few quick hitting uh, questions for you here at the yeah. end. Who, who's the toughest player you ever played against in high school? Ooh. The toughest probably would be McGinnis. Okay, good answer. <laughs> 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 and people remember uh, George; he, he was just such a strong guy. I mean, yeah. not, not only just a great athlete, you know? yeah. He was. He was. Uh,
1: yeah, he he was a strong athlete, and I mean, he played football and everything else. But he, one thing he told, he and Downing both told me one time that that uh, that that I gave him that that I could block him. I blocked him out better than some of the other guys. So
0: I don't know. But George, George, I was the toughest player I played against. What was uh next question? What was your best attribute as a player? Um
1: I think my 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 best was probably just fundamentals. And uh, I used to think of myself as a thinking ball player. So fundamentals and awareness of the game uh would be, be that. And uh, you know, as an example, um I I have a even a philosophy now when I'm watching games and stuff, is that um there's more than one way to to handle or approach something. So I, I'll tell you this: this is a story I, I did with um, when I was playing AU uh, in, a, in the amateur in AU league, and it was as I was winding down in terms of playing and um, refereeing. I've been doing the refereeing and stuff like that. So I this guy called me. Um, the guy uh, the opposing I was playing center. Believe it or not, on this AU team, and this guy called me Charles Barkley because I was, and so I told him, I said, "Okay," I said, "But I said, would you like to wager whether you finish the game or not?" <laughs> and the guy said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "You'll, you'll find out," because my philosophy is if you have played fundamentals and you block out, you f- fake, and those kind of things, then particularly blocking out and playing defense. Then I can't stop you. You know, you're bigger than I am. I can't stop you. So the only way I can stop you is for you to be on the bench, right? And and that's what I I, I got the guy in foul trouble when he sat on the bench. And the beginning third, beginning the second half, I said, "Have you figured it out yet?"
0: <laughs> Eventually, he did when you sat <laughs>
1: well, he sat on the bench. So so that that's what I I I felt I always brought to the game was uh, the mental part of the game and thinking about it. And uh, because basketball basketball is relatively simple game, it's just the people who play it sometimes make it complicated. But if you deal with fundamentals, you deal with your fundamentals, uh, you block out and, you know, take your shots and those kind of things and you usually come out
0: pretty good. What was the best, or this can be, what was your favorite place to play slash what was the best environment you played in, in high school?
1: Bar none, Hinkle Fieldhouse is the best floor in the country. In the country, actually. I mean, we, we played, I think the closest one might be, uh, we played, uh, New Mexico. They had a beautiful facility in there. But as far as the floor and then, of course, the atmosphere back in high school, uh, Hinkle had 15,000 people in there. Now, you know, as Butler's modified it and everything that, you know, the capacity is like nine, nine to 10. But during the, during our heyday, it would be 14, 15,000 people in there. And uh, I think the joke was that the bleachers were, were made to be twelve inches apart. Now now the I think seats are twenty-two <laughs> inches apart or something like that. But but the uh, Hinkle is by far the, the best best place I've ever played in.
0: What was your um uh, uh, this is the next question. how would you describe uh, Coach Theofanis, uh, you know, as a coach? Outstanding. Uh he was just so innovative. Uh he was before
1: his time. And uh and I think he just uh and Oscar and I talk about this all the time, Mr. Evans and I about how he just was would, would do things and have uh plays and uh even ways to get get in shape and those kind of things. And he at the same time he kept it simple. Uh, we only had a few basic plays that we but all of those things happened. And Oscar and I just last week were talking about uh, the word continuity. Because used that all the time, and he said when he said that to some people, and they said, well, what do you mean continuity?" And all it is is that you had such of a play that you could continually run it, continually run it. It had options that you never had to go back and say, "Let's start all over again." It was mm-hmm. always options off of it, and that's what made it effective uh, offense for the uh, to go against most of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was just he was just outstanding innovator in terms of. Um, uh, again Oscar that we were talking the other day we would practice Oscar said you remember the um, he said, you remember the three point the three minute drill um uh, where we were behind by seven and it was three minutes to go in the game and there were seven offensive players on the court We had to practice against seven mm-hmm. offensive players see, and we had to win yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then we'd do the same thing on the opposite side he would he would have us uh, practice where we were on offense and it'd be seven defensive players. And, um, and those are the type of things that we did all the time, you know, just to make us better mm-hmm. and, um, and practicing uh, we used to practice um, where no one could take more than one dribble. So that, cause again, mentioned, I mentioned earlier that we were a running team. So it forced us to, for everybody to move because you couldn't take over one dribble because you had to pass it. And so somebody else had to be moving to do that. But those are just a few of the things that, that he he was just innovative at, at coming up with, and uh, just an outstanding individual out in and in a champion for the guys.
0: I got two more for you here. Okay. Uh, favorite Butler player you've watched uh, since you have mm-hmm. since you graduated?
1: Oh, wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Probably, Keelan uh, Martin.
0: Score, yeah,
1: score. But he, he, he worked. Uh, he worked. He worked pretty hard. And uh, I, I think he between he and uh, and another one. I mean, I could name a a, a ton of them. Obviously, Keelan Martin, uh, Thomas Jackson was another one as a point guard. He was just outstanding. Um, you go all the way back to right behind me was uh, Wayne Burris um, and uh, and Darren. Uh, it's your old set three point three point scoring uh records out there um but um, i probably probably would lean toward Keelan.
0: okay yeah. and who last one who who would you say was your biggest mentor or maybe helped you you know not only just basketball but just just in life oh boy um
1: I mean, that that's a tough one because I, I i like to i mean include all my my family is obviously as as a big group but um an individual who i mentioned earlier was uh the teacher at, at Shore Ridge uh, that was head of the graphic arts uh, at Kulon, was just a was a heck of a mentor um, about uh, about life and how you carry yourself how do you dress um and and then and then the, another one would be, this is this one surprises a lot of people, uh, but he was the custodian, he was the head custodian at the school, at the grade school. Mm. And he was always, he was at the building from six in the morning to six in the evening. And often would come out and sit on the yard, talk to us. He's the one who started us, most of us playing basketball because he'd take us to church leagues and, and coaches and players and team. His name is Jesse Taylor. Mm. Um, so I think at different stages I've had different people. Uh, obviously, starting with the, with the family, and then uh, Jesse Taylor, uh, Bernal Coulon, um, and uh, and oh, I can just name it a ton. But those those were some very influential people. And then the, the, another one uh, who um, was very influential, still continues to be influential, is my she was my seventh grade teacher. Uh, we still maintain contact and uh, i was i attended her 90th birthday this summer in in uh, in july in uh, phoenix arizona oh wow was, uh, very influential
0: that's fantastic yeah well again it all comes back to uh now you're in the hall of fame but i know it takes more than one person to help you get there that's but, right and uh but clarence crane uh joining us today uh indiana basketball hall of famer just as of this week and uh good luck with the induction and thanks for doing this thank you i appreciate it very much.